Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. First of all, I got to let you know, I am super excited today. Today is the 65th anniversary of the church that I've been blessed to pastor since 2015. The church that I've grown up in since 1974 when I was two years old. Stop doing the math to try to figure out how old I am. But listen, today was our 65th church anniversary. We certainly want to thank Pastor Harry Moore Sr. of the Mount Olive Baptist Church for being our guest preacher today. But can I just share with you a couple historic things uh, that are going on here today? First of all, on Friday, uh, we took the cornerstone of the building out of the wall uh, and we exhumed a time capsule uh, that was placed there when the building was dedicated in 1968. So the church that I pastored, Northeast, was founded in 1958, but the building was erected in 1968. Uh, And in that time capsule, wait a second, was a Bible that was in beautiful condition. Uh, In that time capsule was uh, a program from the ninth anniversary of our founding pastor, uh, Dr. William H. Anderson. And then in there was a program from the actual dedication, the month-long service, uh, services dedicated to this, dedicating this building uh, from February 4th to February 25th, 1968, which also included a letter from then-President Lyndon Baines Johnson. Also in that time capsule was were newspaper articles uh, that shared the news uh, of uh, this new church, this new facility uh, that had been constructed. So why did we exhume the time capsule at 65? Well, there's a reason. We just purchased a new building down the street from our church. It used to be St. Thomas United Methodist Episcopal Church. It's been here in the neighborhood since 1902. We've now purchased that building, and we're going to convert that uh, into a early childhood education facility. And across the street, we're going to build housing uh, for the neighborhood. Uh, so, so because we just closed on the building, just closed on the new property, uh, we wanted to be able to take video, take film, and be able to put that back in the time capsule uh, for generations that come behind us to really be able to see how good God has been. Uh, we'll put a copy of the service today 
in the time capsule because also in the time capsule were several of the services uh, that took place dedicating this building. So uh, oh, we're just excited. God's been good to us. Uh, and we're getting ready to go back downstairs and fellowship with our congregation and our guests uh, and our friends and a couple of the candidates from Mayor of Philadelphia uh, that came out to the service today. Uh, that being said, we're dedicating this show to talking to two candidates that the desire to be the next mayor, the 100th mayor, of Philadelphia. So far during this political season, we have interviewed Maria Quinona Sanchez, Derek Green, Sherelle Parker, Rebecca Reinhardt, Alan Dom, Jimmy DeLeon, and Helen Gim. And now today we're going to add two more candidates for mayor of the city of Philadelphia. Uh, we're going to add to our list Mr. Warren Bloom, and former city council member on the Republican side of the aisle, David O. So without further ado, let's welcome into the pastor's office for the very first time, candidate for mayor of the city of Philadelphia, just leaving a funeral. So we want you to uh, excuse the background noise that we have, but he's just leaving a very sad funeral, tragic funeral here in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, but we want to welcome into the pastor's office, Warren Bloom. Mr. Bloom, come on into the pastor's office. How are you, sir? Wonderful. Thank you. And God bless. And thank you for having me. Listen, first of all, this field is crowded. Uh, uh, um, we've got so many candidates for mayor of the city of Philadelphia. Uh, I know you're a man of faith, so I know prayer played a role in your decision-making process. But what caused you let me say it for real what possessed you to jump into this crowded pool well that's a good question i've asked god the same thing i asked him why would you throw me into the dirtiest game in the world but i have to trust his sovereign wisdom that uh, he knows what he's doing and this is where i should be so so let's talk about this because in studying your history i know that you have run for office in the city of philadelphia on well, uh, six occasions prior to this run, and unfortunately, uh, you've not been elected to those offices that you sought. Uh, uh, what what will make this run different? You know, timing and everything in God's economy. Moses was 80 years in preparation for a 40-year ministry, 40 years in Pharaoh's house, 40 years in the desert, and then 40 years in ministry, and he's still... Uh, Failed anger management 101. <laughs> Don't start preaching on my show now. That, that, <laughs> leave that for me, Mr. Bloom, all right? But but that's all right. That's all right. We're going to work on that math, too, but that's okay. Come on back. Come on back to me. So but, timing's everything. I got you. Go ahead. But again, since my steps are ordered of the Lord, I, I simply said um, promotion doesn't come from anywhere but God concerning civil law and authority. But I have to stand on the scriptures as Daniel 4.17 and Psalm 75, 6 and 7. Both of those scriptures are referring to civil law and authority. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. God rules in the affairs of man, and he gives it to whomever he wills. That's in the Daniel. And then in the Psalm 75, 6 and 7, he says, he puts one down and sets up another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. I understand. I understand. Uh, so timing, prayer. Faith, I feel you. I'm there with you. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got several members of city council 
that uh, have resigned their position to seek the, the office of mayor. Uh, and, and to be quite honest, in my conversation with several of them, uh, they're having a difficult time raising funds. Uh, in order yep. to be competitive. And as a matter of fact, if you if you look on television and if you listen to the radio, the ads that you really hear dominating the airwaves right now are for the two multimillionaires, uh, Jeff Brown and Alan Dom. You know, how do we get past that? I'm not going to call it noise because it's not. It's their advertising. <laughs> but how do you break through? Well, again, um, yeah, because they because they, they can afford to launch these ads months ahead of the time. They they feel they're going to be effective with that, but most of the candidates who uh, can't afford those expensive ads, they they don't launch their ads until like sixty days to thirty days out you know outside the right, race. Right. Understood. Understood. So again, let's talk about that. How do you break through? How do you get your message out? What is your strategy? It's to simply uh, wait on God. As a matter of fact, he told me, and I ain't trying to preach again, I don't I don't have to fight in this. He told me I didn't have to fight in this battle. I said, why? He said, because the battle is not yours. All right, all right, all right, all right. Now, listen, when you get up on that debate platform, you, uh-huh. you're going to do more than quote scripture now. You're going <laughs> You're going to have to talk about the issues. Let's jump into the issues. All right, let's jump into some of the issues. I want to get your I want to get your position on some things that are serious and going on in the city. Uh, our church is located in the Frankfurt section of Philadelphia. Uh, and, you know, Kensington Frankfurt is just, it needs a lot. We need a lot of help here right now. One of the reasons we just bought this building down the street from our church is because we're really going to focus on early childhood education and serving the serving holistically the entire family uh, because we really feel bringing families back together is really going to be a blessing to our community. But we've Amen. got open air drug usage uh, yep. going on right up off of Frankfurt Avenue. Okay. Uh, we've got homeless all over the place. You can't drive too far without seeing them. Talk to us. Let's 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 start geography first, uh, and some of the issues we're dealing with. Let's talk about this addiction issue, this homelessness issue uh, that's that's prevalent here in the Frankfurt Kensington section, but really it's a problem all over Philadelphia. Uh, how does a Bloom administration deal with that? Well, if some of you go on my YouTube page, I uh, addressed this a couple months ago. I was in the heart of uh, Kensington. I'm the only candidate that says that I'm going to set up an office right there in the heart of Kensington because I'm very much concerned about the quality of life issues in that area. So I'm going to be directing that, dealing with that head on. Of course, uh, we're talking about mental illness, poverty, addictions. And like I said, uh, I, I was the only one also to admit, uh, frankly, that I didn't know all the complexities it takes to run America's fifth largest city. But I will be using as much uh, data and information I can gather to find out how we're going to solve a lot of these issues. Uh, It's my contention that society is simply made up of families. But when you corrupt the family, you've corrupted society. I believe it all starts in the home again. And as a member of the ecumenical community, I'm going to be seeking direction 
uh, on how to solve all these issues. I will be gathering as many experts as I can, but I'm letting them know this is not only a, a physical uh, problem, but this is a spiritual issue. And uh, again, uh, we're going to ask all the ecumenical communities to come together. I'm the only one to say that this city needs prayer. Uh, man's ingenuity and brilliance have gotten us into this thing, and it's going to take more than that to get us out. You know, you talk about the ecumenical community. You know, one of my beefs, and, you know, I, I talk straight, Mr. Bloom. Uh, Warren, I hope we can call you. But one, yeah. of, my, one of my beefs uh, with politicians is they tend to gravitate towards the megachurches. And I will always share with them that there are more churches uh, that have 80 to 200 members than there are churches that have 2,000 to 5,000 members. And I, and I sort of, here, here I go into the word, uh, I'm sort of like, I'm sort of like uh, Elisha with his servant boy uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when, when, when the army surrounded uh, Dothan. Uh, there's yeah. more with us than with them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but because they get the big crowd, uh, you know, they tend to gravitate. And we know who those, those churches are. We, and I'm not knocking them. But, but, I, but, I, I grew up in one. I grew up in one. The Deliverance Evangelistic Church. Absolutely. But here's the problem. You know, you talk about the ecumenical community, and I, like you, believe that the churches can be doing more, but they can't do it without resources. And the churches with the 2,000 to 5,000 get all the resources, while the ones with 80 to 200, 300 members, in a lot of cases, get nothing at all. So how can the ecumenical community really step up to deliver services when they're strapped financially? Well, I'm glad we're having this conversation because every time I talk to somebody, I can, I'm learning. And I want to be more of a listener than anything else because I have to find out exactly what the people's concerns and issues are. And, uh, and I'm glad we're having this uh, conversation because of the fact that I'm going to see now that attention be given to some of the smaller churches. Now I, I attend a smaller church which came out of deliverance, but I, 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 am, I definitely want to address this issue. Uh, to the fullest, I will be talking to our city controller. We'll be checking out all the finances we have. I'm also going to be seeking government funding and asking unions to step up to solve this issue. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM. We're in the pastor's office this afternoon with candidate for Mayor Warren Bloom. Uh, before we jump to any other topics, Warren, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your background and what will qualify you to become the 100th mayor of the city of Philadelphia? Well, let's say start off with your pu- your first public service job. Is uh, First public service of my job was over 40 years ago. Was was a block captain. I had moved up to the 11th Ward, 11th Division. And um, I had been a block captain before that. But when I got up in the north central Philadelphia, I uh, insisted that, you know, we should just make sure our blocks are clean. And back in the day, we used to paint the curves. Some of y'all not old enough to remember that when we used to paint your curves on the summertime and everybody would feel uh, the light about helping keeping the streets clean and stuff like that. So I started off as a block captain and I gained a lot of attention from the neighbors about how clean my block was. So the ward leader at that time was Alvin Stewart. And he noticed that I uh, was putting out flyers and stuff. So that's when he asked me if I would be a committee person. They needed a committee person. And I said I would most gladly uh, 
take on that uh, opportunity. And I did that for 16 and a half years. And at that time, at the end of that 16 and a half years, that was in 2003. That was the first time I ran for public office that for city commission over voter registration. And I've calculated, uh, Reverend, over the last 20 years, I figured it out. I have run for office average over the last 20 years, every two years running for either commissioner or traffic court judge, uh, state rep, and probably some some other offices I've probably forgotten, but at least those three or four. Understood, understood. So tell me, professionally, let's talk professionally, uh, what is mm-hmm. your background and what are, are you retired now? Let, help life, help life introduce yourself to our listeners. Again, uh, my name is Warren Bloom. Uh, my slogan is Bloom in the Spring, Do the Right Thing. But I, I, my first uh, professional job was uh, as a life and health insurance agent from North Carolina Mutual, the largest or the black, largest blackest company at that time. Back in the day when we used to go around collecting nickel and dime policies every Saturday, and that's that that's where I uh, got my started my professional career. But I'm also a musician, uh, singer, and drummer. Now you also have to be able to collect a certain number of names on a petition, a thousand names on a petition. I believe you have about exactly. a, about another week uh, to get that done. How are you faring in that area? Well. I have at least a thousand now. I'm going. I have over a thousand. Okay. But I, want, I always have to turn in a cushion for a margin of error. So I'll be turning in nothing less than thirteen or fourteen hundred signatures. Got it. Got it. All right, uh, Warren. Let's talk about gun violence. Uh, it has plagued the city of Philadelphia, and the numbers continue to spike year in and year out. No matter the rhetoric, uh, no matter the legislation, it ends up being. Uh, proposed and then sits because uh, it doesn't pass muster in Harrisburg or wherever. But yet and still in communities like Frankfurt, in communities like uh, West Philadelphia, other parts of North Philadelphia, people are still getting shot and killed on a consistent basis. And we're continuing to break records. What will a Bloom administration do about the gun violence that is plaguing our Philadelphia streets? Well, first thing I want to do is... uh there's a 235 Act, uh, I call 235s, and it gives you a right or teaches people how to st- uh, from a to be certified in training. Number one, uh, to protect not only the Second Amendment, but it, you don't have to, to purchase a gun to be certified on how to be knowledgeable about uh, hand, handguns and weapons. Uh, you can be certified to carry a, a, a firearm. You can be certified not to carry one, but because of my background in media, I'm going to immediately launch full-scale public service announcements. The only way you overcome evil is with good and talking about positive, upbeat messages that's going to flood the airways based on, again, faith comes by hearing something long enough. You have to change the atmosphere, uh, what's going on in Philadelphia. And I'm going to be asking the citizens like yourself and other people to make affirmations and uh, 30 to 15 cent, 15 second commercials about the good of Philadelphia, showing the love, brotherly love, sisterly affection. But it's going to be a very creative, positive, and upbeat launch, media launch on all social and media platforms on positivity. I'm on the love frequency. I'm not coming down, and love never fails. 
Well, first of all, again, I want you to know that we appreciate your time and your energy. Uh, My last question has to do with our young people uh, because, uh, and I'm very consistent about this, uh, and I say it to any candidate that I talk to or to any sitting political leader, until all of our children have a seat at the table of success, none of us have a seat at the table of success. And one of the things that this pandemic highlighted was the inequities in education based on zip code. What will we do to make sure that all of our children are receiving a quality education in facilities where they can learn and when they have to be at home in places where they actually have access to be able to learn? Talk to us about what your developed thoughts are on our educational system here in the city of Philadelphia? Well, um, again, did we have some options? Homeschooling is an uh, alternative for some families. It won't work for everybody, but homeschooling offers an alternative to uh, safety. Veronica Joyner, who is the founder uh, and starter of the Mathematics, Civics, and Science Charter School, she used to be a member, of course, uh, she used to work for the school board. But right now, about 10 years ago, she built her own charter school, which is directly, directly across the street from the Board of Education. Uh, and I think the one to 500 block of North Broad Street. I've spoken to her about her experience. She has a no failure rate in her in her school. All her Students pass and are ready ready for college if they decide to deal with college or to go to college. I'm going to be, and I talked with her and asked her after I'm mayor, would she be willing to take over the school board? And she said she would. But again, I'm going to be asking parents. One person cannot solve this problem. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell people I can solve it. The only, the only person I said, the only person... Donald Trump said he oh, he's the only one that could do it, but but I'm asking the citizenry to do their part and step up. The scriptures talk about again. There's not many fathers right now, but I'm asking the fathers to, that, are, that are already doing the job to continue to do the job. But every citizen has a response. Public safety is everybody's responsibility, as far as I'm concerned. And again, I'm going to be targeting the families and the citizenry to all help solve this problem of gun violence in our in this society, and again, we're dealing with a lot of mental illness, uh, which plays a great a part of this uh, this problem. Warren Bloom, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. Uh, as the campaign heats up towards the primaries, we'd love to have you back uh, to talk to you more about your candidacy, because again, we want our listeners. Uh, and this is the only FM gospel station originating from Philadelphia. It's the only one left. Last one. Uh, so so we want this dedicated listener uh, group to be able to make a educated decision because we need the right mayor and we need them right now. Well, man, listen, thank you again for joining us. We appreciate you. Uh, all the best in your candidacy. Thank you for offering yourself. Be blessed, my friend. Well, thank you again, and have a nice day. Please stay safe, everybody. Do the right thing, and vote for Bloom in the Spring, Tuesday, May 16th, with our spring primary. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages with Republican David O.
Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. We want to thank Warren Bloom for joining us in our first segment today. And as I shared with you earlier, we're going to add another candidate for the position of mayor of Philadelphia to our list of candidates that we've spoken to thus far. As a matter of fact, let me let me share this because I want you to know we do believe in equal time on the pastor's office. So we have reached out to all of the candidates for mayor. So let me just give you an update because I do believe in transparency. Uh, Eamon Brown was scheduled to be with us about three weeks ago. Uh, He is being rescheduled. So we do know that we will eventually have him here for you. Um, The only other candidate that I see on the list here uh, that has not responded to our inquiries is Jeff Brown. Other than that, we've interviewed every other candidate, every other candidate. So now to round that off, and Jeff, if you're listening, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to have you on the show, okay? I've spent a lot of money at ShopRite. It's not personal, Chris. Stop laughing over there. All right, here we go. Let's bring in the next candidate on the Republican side of the aisle. He's been with us before to discuss issues here in Philadelphia. Former city council member, David O. David, welcome into the pastor's office. How are you? I'm doing great, Pastor. Thanks for inviting me. Listen, first of all, we want to thank you for giving us some time. Uh, As I just shared with Warren Bloom, this is the last FM gospel radio station on the Mm. dial in Philadelphia that actually originates from Philadelphia. So this is a listener base that you absolutely want to reach because they they, they can't get their gospel anywhere else on the FM dial. Uh, So Uh, You know what? I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so, So again, our job is to educate our listener base uh, and give them the information that they need. Uh, on the Democratic side of the aisle, David, it is packed. Uh, yeah. There are a number of candidates for mayor. And we know uh, that Philadelphia, 7 to 1 registered voters, uh, it's a Democratic city. Yes. How can a Republican get elected. You were making a difference on the council. You were making a difference. You've been there 11 years. You've been there 11 years. How do you make the decision in this democratic town to resign from your position? Because let me make sure my listeners are clear. Philly has this archaic rule. I call it archaic because it's kind of unique. You have to, if you're holding office and you want to run for mayor, you got to resign. So Maria Quinones, Derek Green, uh, uh, Helen Gim, uh, uh, Sherelle Parker, all of them have resigned. Yes. Eamon uh, Brown, everybody's resigned. So why would you want to leave council and attempt to run for mayor in this Democratic town? Yeah, I, I think the reason is that many of the things that I tried to do uh, did not pass. Um, I tried to do them. They did not pass. And um, I think your listeners would like to know um, that, for example, trying to deal with what I call the illegal and improper uh, assessment of their properties, uh, we did an audit, and the audit came back that the methodology used to assess their homes uh, is uh, below industry standard. 
the government should not do things that are below industry standard. And when we look at what's happened, the poorest properties in Philadelphia have been uh, assessed at very high values that defy common sense and logic or any other measurement. And therefore, someone who's in a house that uh, is basically assessed and worth uh, basically $150,000 is now being told that their house is worth $375,000. It isn't. They cannot insure it for that much. They can't get a loan against it. What they are, however, required to do is pay the taxes on it. And these are the poorest um, neighborhoods in our city with the most crime. And people are really struggling to make that payment and looking at sheriff sale. This is the heart of what is called gentrification. And it's really based on improper assessments, uh, very high taxes, and, and the, at the end of that, you know, forced taking of their home. How, how will they live? How will our neighborhoods improve? How will their children have a home uh, to inherit? How will we build generational wealth? That, that is a big problem. The biggest problem, of course, is crime. How will the candidates protect the people in this community? And, and we could get away from all the explanations, all the blame, all the equivocating. The bottom line is this. What are they going to do to make sure that someone who is determined to shoot someone because they're getting in cars, driving around, looking for another 15-year-old, how, how are we going to assure that those cars are stopped? That the, the, that the young people in those cars with ghost guns and extended magazines uh, with multiple uh, uh, weapons, how, how do we stop them without the police? You're going to have to use the police. And, and, and in order to use them properly, they have to be trained properly so that they are trained not to violate the Constitution. They're trained to respect civil rights. But yes, they have to go out there before other young people and innocent people are murdered. And the thing about today's violence is the people that are hunting, most of them very young, um, if they can't find the person they want to shoot, they're, they're quite satisfied to shoot their brother, their mother, their sister. And, and that's why we have this, um, this horrendous violence with, of course, retribution from the victims. And so we're developing this huge cycle. The only thing you're going to be able to do to immediately stop the bloodshed is to have a, a, a police department that cooperates with the community, puts out um, identifiable officers in uniform with patrol cars that are working hand in hand with the community to make it safe. Not every neighborhood needs this. We know the ones that do. So, 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 so let's do that. There, there is a, I think, a very misconstrued idea that has occurred in government that if we uh, allow people, especially young people, to make bad decisions, such as driving recklessly in illegal vehicles with many of, of the people riding with them, if not them themselves, uh, carrying illegal weapons, that this is somehow part of the culture that we should accept. And I would say absolutely not. We should never accept that we should allow, encourage, or excuse young people to make bad decisions that will maybe get them killed in an accident, kill somebody, name someone, or end up in jail. These are not things we should be doing. And so I think most people would agree, most people, that um, we need to return to a government that enforces laws appropriately and legally. We should not allow, encourage bad behavior 
reckless behavior or criminal behavior. And people should not be locked up in their homes, afraid to go out, afraid to walk out at night, afraid to have their children go play, play basketball or wait for a bus. This is not the kind of city people want to live in. It's reflected in the filth, in the uncleanliness, in the unusable parks and uh, public spaces. These, these are things that should be dealt with. On the good side of things, we are failing there too. Look at our schools. We have some great schools, but we have mostly uh, schools that are producing failing graduates. They can't read properly. They can't do math. And a lot of them don't even feel that school matters. We can look at the inequity of the school. We can look at a school that has 3D printers, but how many schools got 3D printers that they actually use, let alone have? How many schools have musical instruments that children can actually play and learn on and take home? How many schools are just uh, completely uh, failing when it comes to uh, complying with state law about equity in education? We don't have to go outside the Philadelphia School District. I'm talking about within the school district. And who has fought that? I, I introduced bills to, to change the school district, to make it more accountable to the parents and to the community and to the students. Um, I introduced a bill which never got heard which is based on best practices. I even brought in President Obama's chair of his um, education reform task force, which is uh, Professor Linda darling Hammond, highly respected um, academia and, and, uh, and uh, a teacher herself. Um, I then, because that failed, introduced a bill that basically uh, would allow for five elected school board members. Because in our city, the mayor appoints all nine. If I were elected mayor, I would appoint four, and then I would take five zones, two councilmatic districts each, and let the people elect someone to represent their uh, community, their neighborhoods. And, and then I would appoint those five to be on the school board. And then I would shut the offices of school board members so they're no longer in the school district building. They don't belong there. They are supposed to provide oversight, not to be engaged in the day-to-day -day operations because that compromises their ability to provide oversight. They're in there uh, talking about contracts and real estate and who's selling that should not be involved in that at all. They don't get paid, uh, but they do get paid. That's part that's been a long time problem with our, our school district. Um, I do think they should get some compensation, but they should not be paid by some interested company that wants school district business. Um, so I have a very different view of that. And I think, like most people, that when kids are wealthy, they have a lot of good things in their home. We should give them programs on an equal basis. But, but you know, we don't need to do more. They have good schools. They have good things at home. But for kids who don't have good things at home, sometimes because their parents or grandparents, they don't have the financial resources. Sometimes they don't even have a parent. Then the school is there to provide them the learning, uh, both in terms of academics and career, with longer school hours if the child wants it. And fun things like gaming and technology, science and music and art as well as uh, mathematics, algebra, calculus, and languages. Yeah, they should have all the, all the tools that are in every school. You know, it should be not just poor schools and rich schools. All the schools should be the same. And then when we get into the summer, summer, summer learning, 
um, it should be uh, something that is available to them. And as as a mayor, I am going to push that. And, and I will ask the teachers to volunteer, to spend longer hours and more time with these students. The students will appreciate it. The community will appreciate it. The teachers will be more fulfilled and better paid. And, and to me, that's common sense. But, but what are the forces against that? Because, honestly, they're not Republican forces, not in this city. There isn't an issue from, from failure to respond to abusiveness or just disrespectfulness in our city. Uh, there's no Republican in charge of that. I'm not blaming the Democratic Party. I'm simply saying you cannot blame the Republican Party and say, don't vote for David O. No, I will address those issues to the satisfaction of the people. If you've got someone who's a Democrat who you feel is going to address that, that's fine. Vote for them. But so far, um, there's a lot of um, equivocating on how they're going to deal with this because I would just say the nature of politics in Philadelphia and everywhere else is to focus on the voter. Well, we're a city of 1.6 million people, and only 300,000 Democrats are going to vote for mayor come May 16th. And of that, there is uh, different groups within within that Democratic vote of 300,000, and the Democrat candidates are very much aware of who votes. And so they're catering to a, a, a group of 50,000 voters, another group of 30,000. What we're not doing is we're not addressing the 1.6 million people. That's why it's called common sense. Although they don't vote and some of them can't vote, we, we should, in my opinion, not cater to a silo of people, but we should, we should address the broad group of people. And um, I'm willing to run my campaign that way. I don't know who else is going to do that, but I'm doing that. I've also counted votes. I do understand that politics is about having one more vote than the other person. But what I find consistent is you can uh, run a campaign for the people, address the very issues that I talked about, crime, education, jobs, uh, cleanliness and responsiveness of the government to make lives better uh, and to hold it accountable and yet win the votes that you need to um, to win the position. You have given us a lot to unpack. Uh, so yes. let's do this. Let's let's dial back. I took a lot of notes on what you said. We won't be able to get to everything, but I want to start with policing. Now, you, you made a great statement. You, you believe that the police force needs to be engaged with the community. In my conversations with our current police commissioner and with the current mayor, I've said it before and I will say it again. The people that are in communities like Frankfurt, where this station is located, uh, and other sections of the city, they're hesitant to trust the police because yeah. most of the officers don't look like them. And most of the officers don't come from a shared background. So, yeah. so, as a, so as a matter of practice and experience, the thought process is the cops are the occupiers. They're not our advocates. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to overcome that. Now, here's the other piece. Now, I'll let, you, I'll let you comment. The other piece is, okay, all our leaders say they recognize that issue. Okay? 
But yet and still, when I say to them, okay, well, if the police are going to patrol in communities like the one in which I'm in right now, they can't patrol by sitting in their cars all day. They have to get out of their cars. They have to walk through the housing developments. They have to walk around the neighborhoods and get to know the people in the community. That way, when an issue arises, the people will have a comfort level in coming to somebody that they know. Why can't we jump over these hurdles? Talk to us. So everything you said makes complete sense. Complete sense. More than making sense, it is the standard. Um, the police serve the people. The police are servants of the people. And we should not have um, this, uh, this nagging question, why can't the police do these things? Because they can. And so let me start with this. Uh, you're not crazy, and, and neither is anyone else who, who asked that question. That, that question can be answered. It's not impossible. So what is the problem? The problem is that the police are employees of the city, and the city is run by the mayor, and the mayor appoints the police commissioner. There is a failure of management. The, the mayor must own this. The mayor cannot say it's not my problem or it's some other thing or t- talk about the police like they're not city workers. They are. And and that's the first thing. Take responsibility. The second thing is put into steps actions. So, for example, in the recruiting area, there are plenty of people who aspire to be a police officer for all the good reasons. They want to help. They want to be helpful. Um, all those things. Uh, and so if they can be the kind of police officer they wish to be, welcome to Philadelphia. That, that should be the first thing we do. Um, the next thing is that we have to train them when employees do not uh, perform well. The first thing we look at is the employer. Did you properly equip and train these officers? And I would say no, because one of the big failings in not just Philadelphia, but the United States overall, is that we have traditionally trained officers to be um, to be ready to fight criminals, as opposed to serve the people. Serving people includes many things that do not rely on conflict, uh, a gun or a bat or a stick or anything. And so the first thing we should be doing is orienting our police towards customer service. And as you said, getting to know the community, know the, the voices of the community, stop in, break bread, shake hands, uh, appear at events, do all the things that is a community oriented. I did famously a resolution, which is not binding because legally I cannot make the mayor do anything, but I did a resolution um, about training the police with minimum force training. It's not bizarre. It's not unusual. There are many experts in the military and in policing that believe in minimum force training. I do too. And by the way, it's used in many other police departments around the world where police do not shoot people. They do engage with drunk people, unruly people. They don't pull out a stick and beat them over the head. Uh, They don't pull out their guns. They have guns. They got to protect their guns. But they have been trained to assess the situation and find the, the least harmful way to deal with a person. 
sometimes you talk with them, sometimes you can't. But if you have to have a situation where you need to physically control them, it is better than shooting them or hitting them with some heavy object. So they control them because they've been trained to control them properly without injury to that person. And especially when we're talking about seniors and teenagers, uh, persons with emotional or intellectual disabilities. But right now what we teach um, our police officers to do is to have a understand some portions of the law, enforce the law, and then you have a gun. And the gun is what you back yourself up with. Secondly, they, we teach them to use maximum force. How do you take down a huge person? How do you take down someone? Uh, the problem also is some of these, and this is what I said, some of the good intentions, the well-intended reforms, uh, lead to more violence. For example, when when New York says you cannot put body weight on someone, okay, body weight is a very good way of controlling someone where you don't have to punch them, knee them, elbow them, or do any of those things. But now that you're not doing body weight, you have five officers trying to take down one person, grabbing uh, arms and, and legs, and somebody's uh, putting some portion of their body on this person, or they resort to, t to tasers. I mean... I would just say it makes complete sense that if you're going to authorize someone to enforce the law uh, and, and give them a deadly weapon and, and weapons that cause injury, why not also train them to, to not use force, to avoid using force or use minimum force? And this oddly has turned into this big um, kind of litmus test because that, that resolution was defeated 14 to 2, you know, and, and, and two years previously, it was tabled by city council. I voted against tabling it. I, I rather have a vote. And I'd like to understand, at one point, do you vote against asking the mayor to make it mandatory that police officers be trained to use minimum force? And, and the training is important for this reason. I'll end with this. When uh, a person is facing what they believe to be a life-threatening situation, including police officers or even those stopped by the police, their, their physiology, the way that people are built, is to increase the sense of danger. Your body would not decrease the sense of danger. That, that would get you killed, right? So out in the wild, your body sees the danger more intensely, more closely, adrenaline comes up, blood sugars, because your body is ready to respond to life-threatening danger. Out, out in the wild, um, you, you, your bowel movement occurs because your body says, I don't need this extra weight. That is what your body is supposed to do. But we are not living in the wild, and uh, so we're not used to that. We become dizzy, we become faint, we start breathing heavily. That's also for people that for example, are being um, controlled by the police, their, their, their heartbeat is going as well, and they may not be able to breathe simply from the, the, the anxiety um, and, 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 and the fact that they're hyperventilating, and, and, and our police need to understand what is happening to the person they're trying to control and to coordinate so that someone doesn't have a knee on someone's groin, another person is pinning a hand, someone's got a, a leg. Like, we, we need to train them. There's no reason not to do this. So that when the pressure is on 
they assess more accurately, they're more calm, they're less likely to go to extreme measures, and they're more likely because they have been trained to work together in a way that is productive and least threatening um, to the person that they are engaged with. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM, and we are talking to candidate for mayor, former city council member David O., Former Council Member O, uh, let's deal with one more topic today, and we certainly hope we can have yes. you back in the future. Um, yes. Let's talk about uh, the school system. We just talked about this with Warren Bloom, and I want to get your take. Yeah. Um, you know, there are businesses, companies like uh, Apple and Microsoft and, and uh, some of the uh, – you know, major corporations that have realized that settings had to change in order for them to get maximum productivity out of their employees. Uh, So that's why you see these campuses and open air, you know, they've moved them from the cubicle into open spaces. Mm -hmm. So let's let's look at education. You know, it's 2023. Our young people uh, are being raised in a society that you and I were certainly not raised in. uh, But yet our school buildings are in many cases decades and decades old, some of them over 100 years old. Uh, uh, We're still in the classroom setting. Uh, And as a matter of fact, when they, you know, when there is a need for homeschooling, like we saw with the pandemic, we found that many of our children don't, they have connectivity issues to the internet. You need the internet in 2023. Um, how do we get an oh and I gotta address this topic, you know, resources are available based on zip codes in a lot of cases, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, some some of some of the uh, uh, wealthier zip codes have better resources for their children. Uh, yeah. uh, how do we create a learning environment in the city of Philadelphia? where all of our children have an equal opportunity, it's opportunity that counts, have an equal opportunity at an amazing education. Because right now it can be argued that is not the case. Well, that argument is correct. I mean, it is not equal opportunity. Um, There is not equal access to education, career training, and things like that. And there's not even um, the equal opportunity to have the same facilities or, or resources. So I think uh, on my part, the first thing the mayor has to do is take charge and take responsibility for public schools, for education, charter, public, even private. The mayor should, should be in charge of education because in our city's history, the mayor usually says, I'm not in charge of education in separate branch of government. And therefore, they have kind of like a little uh, kind of a, a loof relationship with the school. I would look at it differently. First of all, as I said, um, I would appoint four, and then I would let the people select a representative for their for their for their zone who can deal with what they need in their communities and answer and meet and be available geographically there as opposed to people having to come down to the school administration building. Um, From that, uh, I would also assess the schools and the ones that need to have a new school building shall get a new school building. Um, I think that there's ways that we can do that. It's uh, It's not impossible to do. You do have to prioritize it. One of the problems is there's not a transparency about the school finances. 
Um, I'm a council person. I try to find out what the school finances are, and I cannot. And I don't think anybody can. Somehow they know kind of internally. Maybe the mayor knows. Maybe the council president knows. Maybe the school district leadership knows. But certainly, if you ask any of the council people, they can only regurgitate the um, the uh, the numbers that we get from the school district. And I have a lot of doubts about that. So doing an assessment on, on education, we certainly can look at attendance, failure rate, dropout rate, performance on tests, and things like that. And we can see where the attention needs to be. First thing is what's in plain sight, dilapidated building, poor resources, a uh, library that's locked, the bathrooms that don't work. All of that stuff has to be taken care of. There needs to be an immediate plan to begin doing that because that in of itself tells children we don't care about them. When they see us come in and start cleaning and fixing their buildings um, and making sure they have technology and things that work, it says we care. The next thing is we have to make sure the workforce in the school is doing their job. And, 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 and that is just the plain fact. We, we should have um, uh, workers who are serving the children. I wish I could say we do in every case, but we don't in every case. And I think the parents and your listeners know that. Um, politicians are not supposed to say that, but if you don't recognize it, how will you fix the situation? So we do have to then look at the resources, the curriculum that's available, meaningful education. I, I've seen music classes in some schools where the kids just run around and there's some adult there sitting looking at her phone. Um, I've seen other schools with uh, tremendous resources. They're all public schools. That's completely illegal, unconstitutional, and unacceptable. We shall, be, uh, you know, we shall have a way to 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 inventory all the resources. Um, one of the things I did again, when you asked, like, well, who's going to elect a Republican? That's a Democrat. Let, let me tell your listeners. I did a I did a bill to create a nonprofit organization to basically receive um, the receipts of public school teachers who spent money out of their own pocket to buy required classroom items so we could reimburse them. I was not the reason it's a nonprofit is because I was not using tax dollars. There was ten million dollars in. Uh, tobacco settlement money that the city was going to lose anyway. I went to Harrisburg. I asked if I could use this money to reimburse school teachers. They said yes, and I put this bill together. The bill was tabled. The bill did not have support. And and uh, people will scratch their heads. Why is that? I'm not going to explain why. There's no sinister reason here. It's simply it did not have support, so it did not pass. And And that is the problem. When we cannot receive from public school teachers receipts. Some people spend $200, some people spend $2,000. Uh, but, but there's no record that that money was spent. There's no record. And there, therefore, how do we know what has or hasn't been done in the schools? I, I have a person who donates, small business owner. He just donated $10,000 of musical instruments to Anderson uh, Elementary in, in, in West Philly and um, $11,000 of audio equipment to Edison High School. Is that recorded anywhere? Because that's a gift. Where is that recorded that what they have did not come from the school district budget, uh, but was, was a donation? Where is it recorded that parents uh, give uh, cleaning items and, and, and janitorial supplies to the school? Where is it recorded 
that 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 uh, parents uh, volunteer to, to to teach sports and things like that. There's no recording of it, and therefore. There's no record that this school over here is well-resourced, has plenty of money, nothing lacking. But this school in your neighborhood has five teachers that paid out of their pocket for required classroom items. Now, that will draw attention to that school. I have no record of it. And when we ask the superintendent, he says no school is lacking. Well, that's absolutely not true. So for me... To, to get to a level of equity of facility and resources, curriculum and training, and then tailor it around what this community needs, what this, what this neighborhood needs, what these students want. And one of the things that we can do is deliver to them the pathway that they want. For example, they, they love music. They love audio. They love computers. They love graphics. They love the arts. They love photography. They love filmmaking. We have ways that we can use that to then direct them towards a career, towards uh, career training, towards college if they wish. There's many things that could do that they could do if we give them the intention um, that they that they want because we care and, and we tailor that. So education to me can be dealt with, but not if you're unwilling to deal with the stakeholders that are sometimes the solution and sometimes the problem. Former city council member David O, man, we need another whole show to be able to get some more issues to discuss with you because you've got a lot of well-developed thoughts. Uh, and that's what Thanks. we like to see in our candidates is well-developed thoughts uh, uh, on issues because we've got to make the right decision this year. Uh, as relates to the next mayor of Philadelphia. Why don't you do this? Why don't we end by you sharing your social media tags, websites, how our listeners can get more information about your campaign? Sure. Thank you very much. Learn more about me. You could go to my website, davido.com, D-A-V-I-D-O-H.com, or on uh, Twitter or Facebook or, or Instagram. I'm at, at David Philly. David O, D-A-V-I-D-O-H-P-H-I-L-L-Y. You'll catch me there. All right, sir. Thank you so much. And uh, we will definitely reach out to you so we can talk a little bit more as we get closer and closer to the election. Thank you, sir. Be blessed. Thank you very much, Pastor. Have a great day. And Philly's favorite listeners, we will be right back here next week at 2 p.m. Join us here in the pastor's office. Have a blessed week. Political spirit to maybe some life while you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio yeah. up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. right. Yeah. Tune in. Get up word with Reverend Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up and take a seat. Son.